I don't know if you've heard, but there's been a bit of news over the past few days. A government shutdown averted at the very last minute. The former president in court again, this time on business fraud charges. And for the first time ever, the House Speaker was fired. Not retired, not primaried, not gently convinced to step down, fired by his own party. Part of my job is to try and make sense of a week like this. But the CNN newsroom's also uniquely qualified to make sense of the minute-to-minute of this. And one person I find myself sitting next to on TV quite often is CNN political director David Chalian. Uh, With me here, CNN's Audie Cornish and CNN political director David Chalian. Uh, Let's take a moment... I'm Audie Cornish, and you're listening to The Assignment. Some of you may also know David as host of the CNN Political Briefing podcast, which drops every Friday afternoon. The reason we're talking to him today is because starting next week, the assignment is also going to tackle politics. You're going to get two episodes a week because there are a lot of questions out there about the weird and wild politics of now. So, David, first of all, how long have you been doing this? Just over 10 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which in political years is like 90. Years, <laughs> right, something like basically. that. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> and I always like to ask people sort of how they got start meaning like what was how should I say this? What was your first gig in journalism? Cuz I think that always sets us up for the next couple of years, right? Like I started I started 2 months before 9/11. Wow. And I feel like that frame has have haunted similar, me. We have a similar time frame. Oh, tell me. Um, so, well, I'll just say I came to journalism uh, a little later in life. It's not something I studied in school. I was a theater major, double major in political science. I cannot think of a better double major <laughs> for this political moment. You were destined to do this because so much of this is theater. I really appreciate that because when I was a double major at the time, people looked at me like I had two heads not understanding, like, what do you mean you're theater and political science? But now it makes sense to everyone. What was your thinking at the time? (laughs) Well, listen, let me just – I will tell you why I love doing what I do. And we can talk about how we approach covering politics. But what draws me to it are the characters. So I think people – who wake up in the morning and look at themselves in the mirror and say, I can be leader of the free world, are inherently interesting. Because I think most people don't do that. Yes, but you use the word characters. Yes. Yes, but I mean, for storytelling purposes, there are characters, right? And And so that sense of ego, that sense of self, that sense of mission and purpose, I'm immediately interested to learn more about you. Peel all the layers back, why it is you're doing what you are doing here, putting your family and your friends through this gauntlet, all of that. I want to learn that. And and the other thing is the stakes could not be higher, right? I mean, who, who the country determines will be its leader for four years has real world implications and impact on people's kitchen tables in their lives. Uh, somebody who decides whether your children are going to war or not. I mean, the, the stakes couldn't be higher. So you have these like Shakespearean style characters, these unbelievably dramatically important stakes. I'm talking in theater terms to you, obviously, but it's what draws me to presidential politics as I, a coverage point. I totally get this. The reason why my eyes are like this now is because, you know, I can't help but 
connect this to how cable news can cover politics, which is story, not the story, breaking news story, but that there's a good guy and a bad guy and there's there's villains and heroes and that that is kind of one of the critiques of it that like, is that framing always helpful? Well, I think what people refer to as sort of narrative journalism, which is what I think you're describing, correct me if I'm wrong, but that notion. Well, uh, I think in narrative journalism is like long form magazine. I think what I'm talking about is when we get on air and you and I have both sat on panels where it sort of feels like people are like, this person's bad and this person is really trying to be good, yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't and know it's way more complicated that, than course. that. Like the complication but, to me is the fascination. Yes, right? I mean that. That's and yes, uh, we also sit on panels with some partisans whose job is to do what you're yes, describing. Yes, but for journalists, I think um, getting at those gray areas, understanding the contradictions and the complexities, is part of our mission to help explain it to the American people. I do think, to your point though, of heroes and villains or good and bad, I think that there are definitely some crutches get used in in political journalism. And I think we have to be aware of it. So I think when we get attached to, we collectively in the Yes, exactly. When we get attached to a narrative, we have to challenge ourselves on a daily, hourly basis to make sure, A, that that is reflecting reality, Audie, but also that we're remaining open and nimble enough in our reporting and our news gathering and our observation that that when that narrative shifts, we are shifting our storytelling with it, that we're not trying to shoehorn everything into a pre-existing narrative, but that we stay open to what is changing. Yes. And it's funny. I think that becomes harder and harder to do in a more polarized country and in a very polarized media and political media environment. There is no doubt about that. I mean, in the 20 plus years that I've been covering politics as a journalist, I think it has only gotten more difficult because of exactly what you just described. It certainly has gotten more, um, let me rephrase it this way. It certainly has, I think, from my perspective, gotten a little less fun of a job because of the polarization, both the polarization of the body politic, but also the polarization of the media. So here's where I want to bring in one of our listeners, because um, they kind of get at some of the things we've been talking about here. They leave us voicemails. Thanks to all of you for doing that. And they have mentioned this concept of a divided America. Hi, my name is Ted Fletcher. I'd love to see a show in which a host or hosts with a small group simply practice active listening. Without judgment, you have uh, important concerns and feelings that, that an election, the election was stolen. So let's talk about who, who stole the election. And then, you know, how? Talk to me about how this happen? Uh, how is it that you believe? And then put their responses up for, for them to see. Uh, again, not in a judgmental way, just just trying to understand their thinking. Well, I love the notion of active listening. I mean, I think that's what we are trained to do as journalists. Um, and I think it is critical to the success of our work. 
um, I'll just tie this back again to theater for a moment. I, uh, before I got into journalism, worked for a theater artist named Anna Devere Smith, and she oh, does yeah. um, documentary style theater. She interviews hundreds of people around a certain event, and then she portrays uh, many characters and using their verbatim words. Political, and there it, it is no doubt uh, her work is political in nature, and. What I learned the most from her was active listening because she would go out and interview people and do an hour-long interview and then have to embody them. And when I was, you know, working for her and doing research and helping her prepare for these interviews— Oh, my God. I love this. I I learned from her how you listen to people. And that means listening to everything. For her, in performance, it's the ums, the ahs, where that all goes— Where I took that into my journalism was exactly what the caller was describing, which is listening without judgment. Now, I do think, as you said, that's not a story assignment. You can't I I can't walk out of here and go tell one of my reporters uh, to go ahead and file a story on uh, listening to somebody's concerns. And and some things we don't have an answer to. I don't think it has been made fully clear or understood what it is. That captures people about an election lie. Why why people are captured by that. You know what I mean? And and that's not easily assignable. Yeah. I mean, I think we've taken a whole bunch of stabs at it. Yeah. I mean, I think in all different ways. um, We have uh, our colleague, Donio Sullivan, who has looked sort of down the rabbit hole of online uh, perpetuation of the election lie and how it um, festers uh, throughout and and sort of gets disseminated. And so we have that angle to it. We also have obviously talked to many voters who do firmly believe th- in what Donald Trump is selling them, that the election was stolen despite it was not stolen and, and all the evidence there. And I think we have interviewed them and listened to them without judgment at times to really try and understand. But it's also – it's very odd because we are also in the business – of truth-telling, right? And we are also suffering in that same business, right? Like all people who disseminate or share expertise or information have struggled the last two to three years, right? Doctors, nurses, journalists, and judges, you know, whoever it is, it's been not an easy road to, and let me take that back. You cannot take it for granted that things you are saying, that somehow your credential is enough, for someone to believe you. Not and I think people in these occupations did believe that for a long time. Of course. But think about the proliferation of disinformation. Uh, just technologically think about that. I mean, it. so there is no doubt that when you have entered a phase where truth and facts become debatable points, it is a... It is a burden, I think, on the journalists to sift through that in their storytelling and, yes, get at, well, why do you believe this fact is a debatable point? What, you know, and what, or why are you believing a, a piece of disinformation that is demonstrably wrong? What is that about why you want to believe in that? I think that's a valid pursuit, but I don't think we can pursue it without acknowledging what the truth and the facts are. We'll be right back. We're back with The Assignment and CNN political director David Chalian. He's shifting his podcast, the CNN Political Briefing, from a daily to a more in-depth weekly show every Friday. 
And his first episode in this style was an interview with Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. So with the new version of the weekly podcast, I felt when we were designing it, well, we're free of the burden of having to be on the daily headline. Obviously, we want to be in the news flow and yeah. be news adjacent. But you can be beaten down by those waves of incrementalism of like this half a vote might happen in the next half hour. Like that's <laughs> part of being. I mean, I started at the Associated Press. Like I get it. A hundred percent. But it is like you can drown in it. You can. But I don't want to dismiss the value in that. Right. I mean, there are people who want to be up to date on what is actually going on. But. By moving to a weekly podcast, I felt free to take a different kind of approach. We don't have to be right on uh, the headlines. I didn't want to do like a Sunday morning style interview yes. show. The, the CNN political briefing in the daily version, he said, it was just me. I was ticking through my takes on the headlines. and what yeah. This is in conversation with someone else. And what I want to do is get to political practitioners, campaign practitioners. I wanted to tell the story of the 2024 campaign through people who actually do these things, whether a candidate, a campaign manager, a pollster, an ad maker, mm-hmm. a, a party chairman in a but key what's county. different that I can hear in you is you are getting at, to let's use a theater term, their motivation. <laughs> yes. I hear you actually asking people and pushing a little bit harder because politicians, they're like pageant queens, right? You get up and you say you want world peace. You get up and you say you want like a variety of political platitudes that are meaningless. I don't feel guilty saying that. They're just <laughs> things you say so you can look like a real human political person. Sure. But I hear in your interview style a nudging because you've heard it all. Yeah. And like I said to you earlier, I'm fascinated by who these folks are. I want to learn a little bit more about what makes them tick. About but do you hear what I'm saying? Like you were like from. Asa Hutchinson, what's it like to run for president? Seems cool. <laughs> I mean, you were kind of like, you're not on the stage. Yeah. Make that like. And take me inside the room to donors and how you would justify I your continued that. existence. I needed in this that. Race. Yes, that's and the like, challenge that, I needed. You know, like that's what I I I, I certainly haven't seen it all. I know you're uh, saying that, but I, I am still very hungry to learn about what it is like in this polarized environment, in this very different political time from at least how I came to this profession at the start, and learn from the practitioners about how they're actually making their way through it. And... In this two things for me, in this political moment, we talked about 9-11 being an inflection point. I think another inflection point, obviously, is social media. So if we now live in an attention economy, what's the most important thing to have? It actually may not be fundraising. It may not be legislative prowess. It may not be, right? Like as, as we learn from the battle over the House speakership, it's not the guy with the most money and favors and popularity or relationships or any of that who is the quote unquote winner or loser of that week. It's the person who's good at getting the attention that's necessary to have the fight in public. Even if that attention is 
for example, four criminal indictments and 91 charges and having been found liable of sexual abuse and sitting in a courtroom on a civil fraud trial for your business practices. Even if that is the attention, and I just say that because this is what I hear from all of Donald Trump's opponents right now in the race. He is so dominant in the information flow that part of their inability to gain real traction in the race at the moment is because of that. Yeah. So I hear you asking in a way sometimes, like with the Sutchison, effectively your main question was, um, how do you breathe when there's no oxygen in the room? (laughs) And I I don't know that there's a good – I have not heard a good answer. I've not heard – uh, either a strategist or uh, a campaign official or a candidate. But that is part of your adventure. Exactly. It sounds like that's what that you're actually trying that's to figure trying out to over understand. the next couple of months. Um, you know, how do you define good political coverage to you at this point? And how has that changed in the post-Trump era? So I think political coverage is so varied, right? I, I, that Good political coverage is complete political coverage to me. That By that I mean I want some policy coverage. I want great coverage of conversations with voters like John King is doing in his series here at CNN and and understanding where uh, voters' mindsets are. I want smart um, political geography, how we sort ourselves politically in this country and that kind of piece. I want very smart uh, reporting and understanding on polls. I'm not. I I, I love oh, polls. Oh, we're gonna battle. But did you ju- just say I love polls? I love polls. Get out. Le- no, no. <laughs> but let me tell you. But I understand all their flaws. Our job is to explain what an imprecise tool this is, but what it can show. Okay, us. Okay, you're coming back to the show. We're gonna have a special <laughs> Law and Order crossover episode, us and polls, because I'm I'm one of those Americans that's burnt out. I'm like, what is the story being told? What is the point of reporting them so breathlessly? Why won't we admit that they can be wildly manipulated? And does it contribute to horse race style coverage where we are obsessed with a a statistic that somehow a statistic will reveal something? All valid questions. And I would the answer to your last question is yes. I political coverage I don't think is good is political coverage addicted to horse race polling. But that's not all polling can do for us. So I. That's what I mean by a complete picture. I think we need it all. I think we need what these candidates are promising to do as president. I think we need to learn about who they are, where they come from, what makes them tick, how that's responding with voters. And not just president, people like running yes, for of House, running I'm sorry. for Senate. I'm so focused yeah, on the presidential yeah. race. No, but, but yes, it, it is all uh, up and down the ballot. People seeking Americans' vote of support to represent them. I want to know what they're promising to do with that. Uh, vote of support, what they are offering in terms of their what they would be representing in that position. And but what we shouldn't shy away from all the other component parts, Audie. Like I said, yes, I like polls. I like campaign ads. I like looking at what campaigns are putting out on social media and messaging and understanding the strategy of how they're going. All of that is part of it, too. So I need it all for it to be good political coverage. So this is a kind of newsroom chat for those of you who are listening that people really do have all the time, kind of like, wait, 
what are we doing here? Should we be doing this? These are th- these are real conversations and they sound like minutia, but they're not because fundamentally they're about like, how do we get the information out of one place and to you, the public? Um, I think the last thing I'd want to ask you before you go is just there's so much news all the time. It's like when I came to CNN Someone texted me, welcome to the fire hose. I think it was Dana Bash. And she was right. <laughs> um, and this last couple of weeks is a good example. The death of Dianne Feinstein, um, you know, Republican Matt Gates toppling the Speaker of the House. Trump's umpteenth visit to a courthouse. Only this time he really sits down for it. These any one of these things would have been its own story. When you and I started back in 2001 or 2002, we would have spent a week, you know, covering just one of these things. And now they all happen in an afternoon or two or three days. What advice do you have for listeners who are trying to figure out how do I figure out what's worth paying attention to? Well, first of all, I would say to listeners, you have an embarrassment of riches, which is wonderful. There's so much to choose from. I get it can be overwhelming. But there is so much information and smart, good storytelling on all of these stories that you just listed in the last week to choose from. So choose wisely. Choose fire hose, David. What about it, though? But in the fire hose, you can you can drink. Take a breath. And go start drinking again. Like, you don't have to just stand there and be soaked by the fire hose. You can interact with that fire hose in certain ways. And I, I would just urge folks to know what you're choosing in terms of your source of information and what you're reading. And yes, it is overwhelming. It is overwhelming. So take breaks. Figure, you're like, it's okay. It's okay to take breaks and stay in one stream of that fire hose um, that is of interest to you. And then you can catch your breath and go drink from a different part of it. Go to the theater in between. If you can. <laughs> well, David Chalian, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. David Chalian is CNN's political director and the host of the CNN Political Briefing podcast, which again drops in your feeds every Friday. And starting October 10th, the assignment will also drop two days a week in your feed. Every Tuesday, we're talking politics. And on Thursday, we'll continue to talk with people whose lives intersect with the headlines. Which means if you have an assignment for us, it's more important than ever that you give us a call and tell us what's going on in your life or what questions you have about what's going on in the world. I was just listening to a bunch of them, so please keep calling. Our number is 202-854-8802. This episode of The Assignment, a production of CNN Audio, was produced by Madeline Thompson. Our producers are Lori Gallaretta, Jennifer Lai, Carla Javier, and Dan Bloom. Our associate producer is Isoke Samuel. The senior producer of our show is Matt Martinez. Mixing and sound design by Michael Hammond. Dan DeZula is our technical director. And the executive producer of CNN Audio is Steve Lichtai. Special thanks as always to Katie Hinman, and thank you for listening. I'm Audie Cornish. <laughs>